Welcome to Walking in Faith with Bishop Daly. I'm Bishop Tom Daly, the seventh bishop of the Diocese of Spokane here in Eastern Washington State. I am very grateful to have J.D. Flynn, the co-founder of The Pillar. First of all, J.D., what does J.D. stand for? James Daniel. My my first name is James Daniel. Nobody ever asked me that. Thanks for asking. Yeah, so there's a Norwegian custom that you get your name and your father's name separated by a hyphen as your first name, so my father's name is Daniel. We're not even Norwegian, but my parents thought it was cool, and so here we are. You ran with it. Yeah. All right. Um, tell us a little bit about, I, I know we had uh, dinner when we were in Baltimore a couple years back, and um, tell us about uh, how Again, I understand. I know you have a Canon Law degree because were you in the seminary? Were you in seminary? Were you in the uh, at Catholic U with uh, Brother Jim Peterson? Yeah, bro- Brother Jim was in my class and um, and his friend, and then and then a, another guy from your part of the world, uh, from the Pacific Northwest, Bishop Peter Smith was in the class ahead of me. So uh, okay. a, a lot of a lot of good people at at, at Canon Law. You know, in the time I was at Canon Law School, for sure. Yeah. How did you, uh, so as a layman involved in canon law and then involved in um, media work, I know you had worked in the Archdiocese of of Denver and then the Diocese of of, of Lincoln, but first of all, how did you get into uh, canon law? And I know you're a married man with family. Yeah. And and yet the canon law usually is is, uh, priest or involved in that or religious. And, um, but first canon law, and then the move uh, towards uh, providing uh, a, a resource for the church and media. A little bit about your background. Yeah, thanks for asking. I appreciate it. So, so basically, I mean, that the sort of story of my professional career, at least, is that um, I I went to uh, I did my undergraduate at the Franciscan University of Steubenville, and then I stayed and did a master's in theology at Steubenville, and uh, and then as I was finishing that uh, that master's, I was kind of thinking about what I would do next, and um, it was around that time that I was uh, also you know preparing to to ask now my wife to to marry me, and so I was sort of thinking you know a couple of things: how could I best serve the church and 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 how could I best sort of serve the kingdom and at the same time how could I support a family, and so I was um, I was thinking uh, about maybe studying more theology you know um, uh, applying to some PhD programs in theology, um, I was also thinking about the possibility of going to law school, and uh, and my spiritual director said well you know there's kind of a via media um, if th- that maybe you haven't thought about between going to law school and studying more theology namely canon law, and I, I really didn't know anything uh, about canon law. Um, at, at that time, which it, <laughs> in retrospect, I think, boy, I was finishing a master's in theology and I didn't know anything about canon law. I hope that theology programs have a little more canon law now than, than once they did. But I, I really didn't know anything about canon law, but I uh, started to just kind of find out a little bit about what, what canon law is. And of course, the law of the church is the, is the, um, the internal disciplinary norms of the life of the church. The church is a society. Um, and, uh, and so the, the, um, the law of the church governs not only sort of sacramental discipline, but also the way in which um, the, the church's finances are governed, the way in which um, bishops relate to their priests, the way in which religious institutes relate to the life of the church, and um, and, and many other things. Um, and uh, I started to find out a little bit about it, and then I went to um, just to visit the School of Canon Law at the Catholic University of America, and I spoke with the dean there for a while, uh, and and he really encouraged me. He said, you know, canon law is a, is a way in which lay people can serve the church um, in a way that is um, that is useful and interesting and engaging, and, and can you know support their family. And uh, and so I I, uh, I applied to the program, and I started right after I finished my master's. And uh, uh, the licentiate program at CUA is a three-year program uh, in canon law. And um, 
So I did that program at the same time I got married while I was in the program and my wife was um, getting a master's in social work from the, uh, from the National Catholic School of Social Service at CUA. So, um, uh, you know, in a certain way, in a certain way, we sort of have joked that uh, social work and canon law are both ways in, in which to serve the kingdom, but probably, you know, about as far from each other as you can get in certain ways. So, so that was good. We kind of maybe kept each other grounded in certain ways. Um, when I finished, uh, when I finished the licentiate in canon law, um, my wife was working for the DC city government and I was thinking about maybe staying on to, to finish a doctorate in canon law, or maybe it was time to, um, to start working in canon law for a while. And, uh, I was very blessed because, um, uh, a bishop who I really admired, who I didn't know well, but but who who was looking for a canon lawyer, had reached out to some people on the faculty and the administration at CUA, uh, and and asked if if they could advise him on a canon lawyer who might be available, and that was Archbishop Charles Shapu, who is the Archbishop of Denver, and uh, and so I I came out to Denver and I talked to Archbishop Shapu, and and he hired me really on the spot, and um, and that. Uh, uh, the, uh, a friendship with Archbishop Shapi. Well, he began as my boss, but really has become a friend and a spiritual uh, father and mentor to our family. Uh, a friendship with Archbishop Shapu has really um, affected the trajectory of my, not my life and the life of our family in, in a lot of ways. Um, so I worked for Archbishop Shapu as a canon lawyer. During that time, he was tasked by the um, by the Holy See with conducting the North American portion of the, the apostolic visitation to the Legion of Christ. And he sort of staffed me on that, pro you know, he sort of had me on that project in, a, in nearly a full-time way for probably about 18 months. And then after that, I worked on some other canonical projects that, that needed to be done in the diocese and uh, worked on issues related to, um, to priest personnel, worked on issues related to sort of diocesan corporate organization uh, and a number of other things as well. And, uh, and became the vice chancellor of the archdiocese. When Archbishop Shapu left and went to Philadelphia, um, his, his, the, the, his chancellor went, went with him to Philadelphia. So I was blessed to be appointed the chancellor of the archdiocese. And I did that um, as, uh, as Archbishop Aquila became the Archbishop of Denver and, and had, was blessed to work very well with, with Archbishop Aquila, who, who has also become a friend. Um, you know, Archbishop Aquila had a really a tough first day uh, as Archbishop of Denver because his first day on the job was the day of the Aurora Theater shooting, which was just a, a horrific tragedy in our state. And I was so, um, you know, of course, when a new boss is coming in, you don't quite know what how it's going to go or what you're going to think. And I was so edified because I had a I had organized kind of a, a day's worth of meetings for Archbishop Aquila with various kind of officials in the diocese and things like that. And he said, no, scrap all that. We're going to go and see how we can help. And so he visited with families of those who had been affected by the Aurora Theater shooting and had, um, organ we organized a, uh, a, a, a prayer vigil um, at a parish that was nearby, and, and he kind of kept on visiting with families. And he had he went to uh, a bunch of the funerals, and 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 really it was a an opportunity for not an opportunity that one would wish for, but it was um, an invitation, I guess, for him to engage pastorally in a difficult way at a difficult time. You know, right at the beginning of his Episcopal ministry. So, uh, so the, and it was neat for me because it was a really cool impression of a pastoral new boss. You know, so. I uh, did that for, uh, worked with Archbishop Quilla for a couple of years, and it was a period of great blessing. And then uh, my friend, Bishop um, Jim Conley, became the Bishop of Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, he had been an auxiliary in Denver, and our family had gotten to know him pretty well. And when Bishop Conley went out to, to Lincoln, he asked if I would uh, come with. And so um, it, it took a couple of months because we were, our two, our two older children are adopted, and we were kind of in the middle of sort of finalizing the adoption of our daughter. But once that was resolved, we uh, we went to Nebraska, and, and I worked with Bishop Conley for a number of years as he kind of got started in his Episcopal ministry there. 
uh, and uh, and there was uh, there was Lincoln is a very good diocese um, and and uh, a very blessed place and there was also a lot to do so I was able to kind of help the bishop as he figured out kind of what his priorities would be and and how we would work on them and uh, and then um, kind of a couple of providential things happened at the same time I guess our kids were getting a little bit older um, we had just had um, uh, a third child um, and. Um, uh, we didn't have family in Nebraska, of course, and we were kind of thinking it would be nice to be around family. Uh, my family has all moved out to Colorado um, and, and settled here. And, uh, and so um, I was sort of thinking it might be time to come back to Colorado. And at the same time, uh, um, Catholic News Agency reached out to me during all this time working in dioceses. I had been doing work with media and, and really kind of overseeing media relations in the Diocese of Lincoln and for a period of time in the Archdiocese of Denver too. So they reached out to me and asked me if I would want to uh, come and work as the editor of Catholic News Agency, which I did for a couple of years. And it was a huge shift. It was a huge, huge transition because um, uh, the, the transition is not a transition away from serving the church. I, I hope that our work in Catholic media is serving the church, but it was a sort of transition of... Um, of disposition, of thinking about things. There's a, there's a way of thinking about things when you're sort of working in the hierarchical constitution of the church and to, to help a bishop. And then I think a different way of thinking about things when you're a journalist. And, and that was a bit of an adjustment. But in Providence, I had a more about uh, more than a year of kind of an adjustment for that before the thing uh, happened, which changed a lot of things in the Catholic church, including Catholic media, which was the McCarrick scandal. And, um, and uh, I, I, when the McCarrick scandal began, I, I felt honestly... Um, like God had prepared me to be able to cover that well and contribute something to the church because I am a canon lawyer and I understood what the processes were going to be because I'd worked in diocesan administration. I understood kind of what that looked like and how things were. And, and because I had, we had brought onto our team some other people with similar expertise and experience. And so we, we were able to kind of cover that, I hope, in a way that contributed to the life of the church. Uh, and uh, and then last year, uh, uh, I had a, an invitation to kind of um, step back from the daily news cycle that we that that was sort of uh, our bread and butter at Catholic News Agency and work on and, and begin a project that would be um, sort of focused more on uh, some long term investigative work and some long term kind of um, uh, uh, just some some more I hope uh, projects that allow us to kind of get to. Um, the complexity of um, of the issues that the church faces, and as we say, part of our goal is to um, do the kind of work in which people have um, the space and the time to um, to think in paragraphs, right? So often in the daily news cycle, it's just get a quote, get a quote, and 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 that's that's unfortunate for bishops, especially who are asked to boil down things which are often nuanced and complicated and dip and, and difficult and which they've given a lot of thought to down to a quote. And so part of the work that we hope to do is to give bishops the opportunity to kind of think in paragraphs as they, as they speak about their, their own ministry and, and their own way in which the, they're leading the church. Um, so that's, that's some of the work that we do. And then some of the ways in which God's providence has sort of unfolded across that. that, that time. I think uh, JD it's very important. Again, that, that providential canon law degree you had, because a lot of times I would imagine Journalists, um, especially in the secular world, have no concept of the church, uh, you know, but to know um, and probably being balanced by with your wife's uh, social work degree, there is, um, you know, that ability to see the human condition. It's all it's oftentimes in social work, but with all its failings. And yet at times the code in its in its clarity may not always seem to address the reality of, of discipleship. So kind of having that that uh, balance. Um, we're gonna we're gonna take a break shortly. But um, how did uh, how did you come with the con the name the pillar for the new <laughs> your new work? 
Well, uh, a couple things. First of all, uh, it was a URL that we could afford. A lot of the first names that we came up with were really expensive for us to license. But but more than that, um, we we thought that in God's providence, you know, the the pillar is a theme that it, that it comes up in Scripture often. You know, you think about Samson, you think about Lot's wife, a pillar of salt. You think about our Lord being scourged at the pillar. Not that we wish to be scourging. Um, and then we thought about the stylites. You know, early. Um, early monastics who lived atop these pillars and, and prayed for the world. And so we thought God's justice um, in, in has been kind of unfolded through the symbol and, and reality of a pillar. God's mercy with our Lord being scourged at the pillar has been unfolded um, at the pillar. And then um, and then the, the the life and mission of the church has been unfolded at a pillar with those early stylites. And so uh, we, we hope that we will be witnesses both to God's justice and to God's mercy. And uh, we hope that we ourselves will be rooted in prayer as were those early stylites. Hmm. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're uh, I'm talking to J.D. Flynn, uh, co-founder of The Pillar, uh, which is, I like that phrase, it allows um, journalists to help bishops and Catholics think in paragraphs rather than the soundbites. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion with J.D. guest outside the Diocese of Spokane, uh, J.D. Flynn, uh, a journalist and co-founder of The Pillar. Um, my experience as a vocation director and a rector and as a bishop, I often tell the seminarians, um, you cannot do formation or discernment uh, via the internet. Mm -hmm. And yet we know that people, it seems, are on the path to salvation via the internet and all that that can be. I know the, the former rector at St. Patrick's Seminary, Dan Donovan, used to, when he, before he was rector, a spiritual director, used to tell the guys, the internet is like a city. There's some parts of the city you do not visit. There's some right. parts of the internet you do not visit. Yeah. And, um, but in any case, how does um, a faithful Catholic um, navigate through all of this? Again, I appreciate the, uh, the work uh, you have done, J.D., trying to what is truth regarding events in the church? And um, what, what has been your experience about navigating? Again, this is a more probably deliberate, um, long-term research uh, or investigative reporting you're doing, but how, how does the average layperson get to the truth in the midst of so many confusing sources uh, and everything? Yeah, yeah, it's hard because there is so much, um... There's a there's so much uh, noise right now about the church and the internet just makes a profusion of that and uh, so much of it is is um, is unhelpful and, and and unhelpful in two ways one unhelpful in helping us understand what's going on and two spiritually unhelpful right it's it seems almost designed to evoke in us um, anger or uh, out, outrage or designed in some ways to have us be uh, in a relationship of animosity with our bishops now the last few years have revealed there are real challenges in the life of the church, right? And they're, they're good actors and bad actors in, in the life of the church. And and we need to integrate that into our understanding of what it means to be a member of the church. And for me, it's helpful to start with the the, the, the clear line that uh, that I myself am, uh, am a sinner and, and um, you know, am as much in need of God's mercy as anyone else. And so I don't sort of let myself put myself in a position of like sitting in judgment over people that, that I read about. Um, it's important, or, or I'm reporting about, it's important, I think, for 
there to be some Catholic journalism for, for us to know what's going on in the life of the church. And what we aim to do sometimes is to bring clarity when we see either like uh, from the left or from the right, like just an exaggerated caricature uh, uh, articulation of something. And I think it's helpful to have clarity or from secular media, which often doesn't understand the church at all. I think it's helpful to have clarity, but at the same time, um, we aim to do that without hyperbole. And, uh, and we aim to do that in a way uh, that, that comes from our interior life. We think it's absolutely necessary that we have an interior life of prayer in relationship to, you know, sacramental life of, with the church um, to be able to engage in these kinds of things. And um, we know that for some people, any kind of like just paying attention to that interior life of the church, that, that um, you know, internal political, sociological life of the church, administrative life of the church is not helpful to their spiritual lives. I mean, Bishop, you should pay attention to what's happening in the, in the sort of politics of the church and how the sausage gets made, because that's what you do for a living. But um, not everyone um, not everyone needs to. And for people who find that it's not helpful, then it, it can be good to just walk away. At the same time, you know, it, it can also be good, I think, to find a few sources that, um, that you can trust that um, seem to be most interested in getting to the truth of the matter instead of getting you to click more or getting you to be more angry or getting you to be sort of, you know, ha having a lens uh, having a, a lens, a sort of a secular lens on the life of the church. Um, you know, the church is a communion, the communion of the baptized who are seeking um, the mercy of God through the grace of the sacraments and the grace of the magisterium, which is which comes through the church. Um, if, if that's not the disposition of people who are telling the story of the church, then they can put another lens on it, you know, sort of uh, laity versus clerics or um, systematic reform by uh, doing away with the doctrinal teachings of the church. Neither of those things are are helpful. And so I think we can always ask sort of are the fundamental sort of presuppositions of what I'm consuming rooted in, um, in the truth of the, the, the Catholic worldview? You know, um, it's interesting. There's a certain member of a religious order uh, who is, seems to be in favor uh, at this time um, who, um, if you read, he's part of that movement, which I've been calling the, the parallel church now that seems to have... Um, preferred status and um, in defining whether uh, I, I had candidacy for one of our seminarians at St. Patrick's Seminary last week and I spoke about two challenges. It was, uh, the reading was Timothy, Paul's other Timothy talking about perseverance. And I said, I've seen two things develop that I've never quite seen in my almost 34 years of priesthood, 10 as a bishop. One is the amount of guys seemingly of solid backgrounds leading the priesthood, perhaps, <clears throat> maybe more basing their vocation on externals rather than yeah. on Christ. The second, though, is the entrenchment, the establishment and entrenchment of a parallel church mm. that tries to redefine what it means to be a devout Catholic, being led by certain members of the hierarchy, certain members of religious orders, and by elected officials. And I think that is what is um, leading to the discouragement of a number of faith-filled Catholics who are trying, especially... There are certainly with seminarians and religious, and, but lay people just trying to raise their family, be faithful to the church. And um, yet they see uh, both within a segment of religious uh, journalism and secular journalism, this, this bully pulpit almost. Mm -hmm. How would you see the pillar in your work, describing uh, <laughs> the being able to, to tackle that and to be able to help people who are not interested in ecclesiastical warfare, but are trying to live discipleship and faith in Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, I hope we're corrective to any sense of sort of uh, any sense of sort of parallelism or um, or, 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 uh, or the kind of divisive factionalism in the church that you know can become quickly become sort of self protective tribalism, that which often eschews the doctrinal teachings of the church. And you know, I for myself, it's extremely helpful for me to remember that the kind of conflict that exists in the life of the church. Um, the kind of division that exists in the life of the church is the ordinary course of of Christian history, right? Why does St. Paul have to say, you know, have to admonish everybody who says that they belong to Paul or belong to Apollos, right? Because these people were dividing into factions in the in the in the early church. Um, what St. Thomas has to warn against it. Um, the Council Trent has to warn against it, and and when it's not warned against, then it can foment into full fledged schism, which is why we had the Council Trent to begin with. Um, so the the corrective, I think, that the helpful corrective is, I think, to remember. Um, that conflict is the ordinary course of um, uh, of the life of the church because these things matter. The, the doctrine of the church matters, and that we must at the same time be um, ever seeking doctrinal orthodoxy. Um, you know, ever seeking to really understand what God has revealed to us and what the church has taught us um, in unpacking the deposit of faith, and at the same time um, never seek um, to rupture. The, the communion of the church. And, and we're, we're blessed because the church tells us what communion is, right? Communion is faith, sacraments, and governance. So if we subject ourselves to the legitimate governance of our bishops, and and and, and if we um, participate in the sacramental life of the church, and if we do all that we can to hold and profess all that the Catholic church teaches, then we'll be, we'll remain at the heart of the church. And from the heart of the church, I think, it, I think we can speak out um, again, you know, we can say when something is false, we can say this is not what the Catholic Church teaches, um, or this seems to go, uh, the, you know, this seems to be leading against what the Catholic Church teaches in various ways. And I think, I think we should do that. Um, I think we have to be always careful to make sure that we do that from, that we don't allow ourselves sort of to be sucked into a sort of secular one-upmanship because of our own pride or because of our own, um, uh, you know, our, our, our own ego or our own loyalty to our own tribe, but instead, um, our, we we always seek to be proclaiming truth and defending the truth um, because we know that um, Christ uh, is the, the way, the life, and the truth, and and that following the, the person who is truth um, is the key to becoming saints, which is the only thing worth doing. Well, I, I think what's uh, it sounds like what you're saying is what I certainly agree when I would talk to, to seminarians is the importance of humility. Yeah. I mean, uh, humility is truth, and um, I think the... Um, the frustration that, uh, again, I'm from a faithful Catholics, not those who are trying to reinvent the church, is trying to get the truth. And I know that, um, I mean, for example, the McCarrick thing, even when the McCarrick report was was um, was finally released, um, there were those who still felt that one of the fundamental questions that wasn't answered was who amongst the hierarchy owed their positions to his influence. And um, I suspect uh, we may not ever get that story, uh, at least in the immediate future. Well, we at the pillar would sure like to. You know, the, the one way to know that is to follow the money. And, and yes. for us, the frustrating thing about the McCarrick report is you can't tell. It's rare that you can tell a story about sex without it also being a story about money. And that yes. was that report did not tell the story of the money. And that's a, that's a major deficiency. There are things that are laudable about the McCarrick report in the first place that it exists, right? And that mm -hmm. we, the church is moving in this direction. There are a lot of unanswered questions, and um, and and they need to be answered. I hope that's part of what what we're doing. I hope there are other journalists who are trying to do it too. But you're right. I also hope that we're doing it. Um, <laughs> I hope that we're doing it in humility. And if we're not, 
uh, you should call me up and admonish me for not being humble enough about. No, I appreciate that. Um, how about again? It's it's really uh, <clears throat> admirable your your commitment as as a husband and a father and as an active Catholic uh, involved in the life of the church. In this case, something that is really, I mean, the explosion of uh, information where uh, people can be overwhelmed by it um, to to be leading us uh, to the truth, but. It is um, nonetheless, I, I think, uh, would be naive to think that an individual could be so sheltered that they completely uh, disengage from, from finding out about their faith. Um, yeah. And I, I don't think that, uh, you know, it falls into that category of being uh, the need to be as, as gentle as a dove and as clever as a serpent when we're dealing with this, because um, a lot of times, the, the message that comes from those who are trying to reinvent a new church, it comes as the kinder, gentler Catholicism, whereas the other one is mean-spirited and judgmental. So if, if something is, as, as you're doing on the pillar is to say, what is truth? How can we guide people to that? How can we inform people? Then we could have disciples who, uh, again, we're never going to be uh, free of all of this. Uh, I often tell, again, when Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, I love those two he, they, about the apostles. They worship, but they doubted. And they themselves were struggling. So struggle is always going to be, or the cross, what it means to be in discipleship. But um, it seems more recently people are battered. And uh, I think what people desire is one of those gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is peace. Yeah. And I think maybe final uh, words before we end the program, J.D., is how can the, the lay person in the pew, or I suppose the, the clergy and religious, what would you recommend to, to be able to, to, um, to be informed, but to have a level of peace in, in following Christ? Well, I suppose first I'd recommend uh, first I'd recommend PillarCatholic.com, and uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity for the pitch. Um, I'd also recommend seeking out the te- you know the, seeking out the the teaching of bishops who seem to be willing to teach and to engage with um, contemporary issues and the complexity of them. Bishop, I, I'll just say, and I, I hope this doesn't sound unduly laudatory, but I thought your pastoral letter on the vaccines, for example, was a really good balance of. Um, uh, of, of teaching the, the the teachings of the church, recognizing the di- the difficulties that people have with um, a set of complex questions, and, um, and 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 acknowledging them and giving them sort of their due and respect, and at the same time teaching what the what the Holy See is teaching and why, and then giving an opportunity that was like to engage you know, giving sort of an, a, a call to action. I thought all of that was good. So looking for bishops who are who are really trying to engage meaningfully with the life of the world from a perspective of faith, I think is important. I hope that we're able to sort of amplify that at, at Pillar Catholic. And then I, I often think about um, a, 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 about Benedict XVI, you know, saying that um, uh, w- without charity, um, you know, truth is a resounding gong or a clashing symbol, but without truth, charity degenerates just into sentimentality. Love becomes an empty shell. And uh, and so we should be looking for those who seem to desire to unify both charity and truth and to recognize their sort of essential correlation to one another. That's great. And that's a, a clear message for our um, listening audience. Again, JD, I know you're a busy man and I appreciate the time. And I look forward to having you on again as a guest. And, and I pray that the pillar will be to be successful and uh, lead us ever closer to Christ. God bless you. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Bishop. Walking in Faith with Bishop David is a production of the Catholic Diocese of Spokane. 
Walking to Faith is produced and edited by Mitchell Palmquist. It can be heard on Sacred Heart Radio, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcasting apps.